this week, the orange dot. Sometimes the pun titles just write themselves. We're living in Kenny's, Alberta. Much of the provincial election has been covered to death, so we're going to try not to do that. We're going to focus on the ways this government looks similar to or different from the past and what that means for Edmonton. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 34, and it's finally over, the provincial election. Now, you guys might not listen to news as much as we do, but when you're trying to cover just local news, you're subscribed to all the feeds, everything's coming into your email inbox, and when a provincial election happens, I don't know if this happened to you, Mac, but you're just inundated with content constantly. Everything was about the provincial election. It got kind of tiresome toward the end. I was very happy for the election to be done. Yeah, and as someone who doesn't really care about provincial politics, I mean, I'm a citizen and I follow everything. I care more than the average person, but I don't identify as caring. Right. It was very tiring. And in the spirit of all feeling tired about it, we're going to talk about it today. We are in depth. But first, the rapid fire segment. Sometimes when you're dealing with politics at the city level, the stakes can seem a bit lower than other orders of government. There's no better example of that than this week, the story you didn't hear, that the city is dealing with what amounts to a constitutional crisis. We have to pass our tax rate bylaw on April 30th, but the education requisition component, which goes to the province and usually amounts to about a third of your tax bill, hasn't been set by the province yet, most likely due to the election. Even though the province hasn't asked for money, the city is still legally obligated to continue paying them education money. And the Municipal Government Act does not, and the Municipal Government Act, quote, does not contemplate how to address this situation, end quote. Unfortunately for Edmonton, the best constitutional lawyer is currently hashtag laying pipe down in Calgary. So staff will have to resolve this one on their own. With four councillors opposed, Prairie Sky got approval to spend 75000 of their own dollars to look further into how a gondola could work in Edmonton. Now, if your cousin says he's following his dreams and dropping out of business administration to go to clown school, you might keep your mouth shut for a while because, hey, it's important that we allow innovative and crazy ideas. But then he gets his first invoice and you see that it's going to cost him several hundred times what he makes in a year for his seven-year clown degree. But don't worry, he'll make it all from tips at kids' birthday parties. You might... At this point, start looking with side-eye at your well-funded retirement savings account and realize that maybe it might be time to tell your cousin that dreams are important, but he's literally a clown. City Council unanimously approved the rezoning of the mall at Bonnie Dune into a mixed-use transit-oriented development that will include over 4,000 residences and over 140,000 square meters of commercial space, among a network of streets and parks where the current mall site sits. All of this is situated around the New Valley Line LRT stop. Gentrification is when poorer neighborhoods become more expensive through redevelopment. But what is it called when a bunch of over-80s are displaced by hip urbanist developments? Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And this week we're going to talk to you about EPL, which has the Overdue Fines podcast. It's hosted by Bryce Cretendon and Caroline Land. And they discuss movies, music, books, and pretty much any sort of popular culture and media that you can think of. Maybe not election content. Maybe go there for your reprieve because you're not going to find it here. You'll learn more about what you can find at the library. And it comes out every two weeks. So find out about the show at epl.ca slash podcast. So Troy, you happy the election's over? Yeah. Uh, 
I'm going to tell you what. I hosted an election results party, mm-hmm. and this was supposed to be the culmination of everything. It was a month-long campaign, but it was well longer. Felt than way longer. Yeah. So this was supposed to be the culmination, and it was supposed to put the cherry on top. We we're going to eat treats of pizza. We we're going to enjoy ourselves. Six minutes into the broadcast, CTV Edmonton projects a UCP majority government, and show's over, guys. Time to go home. And, and how many polls were reporting at that time? At that point, there was 0.3% percent of polls were reporting so nothing basically i think that's where we're gonna start is the coverage of this election because there were some baffling elements to me firstly there was this early call and i don't i don't know i'm not a statistics major i took 100 level statistics in university and dropped out after two weeks because it was so boring i was gonna fall asleep right so maybe while i wasn't listening some statistician found some infallible thing where he can take one poll from each riding in the province and then predict a UCP majority? I don't know. I don't know what was up with that. Or good old-fashioned, we want to be first because it's a race to the bottom. I don't know what benefit they get from that, really. And they just made a call. I've often wondered this about election night coverage in the over the last decade i've been you know building dashboards and covering election night results and i always wonder like how would i code in an algorithm into this being a programmer right to to say who's going to win the election and i've never really come up with a good way to do it so i have no idea how these television stations do it other than hey we want to be first and the first results look like it's ucp we're going for it so speaking of dashboards the reason I know that 0.3% of polls were reporting when CTV right. called the majority was because you had built an election dashboard for this election. Yeah, that's right. I updated the dashboard that I built in 2015 and 2012 for the provincial election um, to show the 2019 results as they came in um, on election night. And, and obviously afterward as well, you can drill into a poll by poll look at, uh, at the data. And did it work the whole night? So here's the thing. The dashboard from our end worked really well. I was quite happy with the way that it held up to the traffic. We did tens of thousands of page views in like three hours, right? It was pretty, you know, it was a crush of traffic. Uh, But the data itself from Elections Alberta stopped updating for like an hour, like right in the middle of it, which was really, really frustrating. And where was this data coming from? The data was scraped HTML pages. So in 2019, they still don't have an open data feed, a structured feed, a a feed that is meant to be written or read by software. They have an HTML page that my code then had to parse. So for those who aren't technologically apt, this would be the equivalent of, you know, you could have people who are interested in election results. You have them on a conference call and you're reading out the numbers as they come in versus there's a town jester who slaps up a poster on a telephone pole every 15 minutes, and then you have to parse it out of that. That's roughly the equivalent. That's a pretty good analogy. And now the Alberta government, like the city of Edmonton, they do have an open data catalog. They have the technological capacity to easily have put this in open data. Edmonton does with our municipal elections. That's right. I can only guess that because it only happens once every four years and they don't have probably the biggest budget in the world. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. They probably put all their energy into making sure they can count the votes correctly instead of presenting them to people. Which is a fair point. Uh, Try not to take the wind out of my sails so much when I'm clearly ramping up to a point here. You can edit that out in post. But the question I have with that is we had CTV, Global, and CBC all displaying election night coverage. 
there was a lot of resources dedicated to election coverage. They had a ton. Yeah, you like you were pointing out before the show, you were saying like they had hours of coverage for the provincial election. Yeah, CBC didn't even run ads during the show. It was good. You shouldn't run ads during election coverage. It should be a public service. But you've got a panel of guests. Uh, Global had, of course, the panel of guests set up in UCP HQ, all with nice suits at a desk. There's a cost associated with that. So there was a lot of money spent on coverage of this election. In contrast to what we saw earlier in 2017 when we had the Edmonton Municipal Election. Right. And there was not a single televised coverage of that election event. And I mean, sure, I get it. There's eyeballs and this is a sexy campaign that was really divisive. But it makes me wonder if if our organizations aren't covering out of the goodness of their heart for public service because they should be covering elections, why aren't we seeing more support for smaller organizations that are actually covering these events? And just to the taproot point, you built a dashboard that if you're watching a TV screen and you see, oh, well, this poll only has 200 votes and I really want to see Edmonton Strathcona and then you have right. to wait 15 minutes for it to, to cycle through. Cycle through. Yep. The dashboard is a better way to consume this data. Right. You built it. Election Alberta actively sort of stood in your way. They didn't enable this in any way. And yet you built it anyway. Right. Without funding. Right. Imagine if there was any amount of innovation in journalism funding available provincially or federally. What might be done? Or if they just simply made a structured data feed available, it would have solved a lot of problems. Complaining aside, that coverage point, it's salient because... The election coverage didn't come for free. One of the initiatives that was launched last week during the election is one that I'm a part of and I've been advocating for called the Yegg Core Zone. It didn't get any coverage and the journalists and columnists were very forthright with us. They're like, no, we're we're covering the election. We're busy. We will happily talk about this next week, but we're too busy. I think at the last end of our last episode, you mentioned that we were going to be done with election and we turned off the mic and I was like, actually, Troy, I'd like to talk about it a little bit more. But I promise this week will be the end and then we can get into municipal issues like the core zone uh, when it comes back to committee next week. And you'll tell us all about you speaking to council again. So, Mac, this election, it's happened. We're now an orange dot in the middle of Alberta. And has this ever happened before? So this is, you know, where we kind of started with the the research on this episode is people posting this picture of the map of Alberta, right? And Edmonton's orange and there's a little smattering elsewhere, but mostly, you know, we're the only orange place. I first want to say, of course, that those pictures are a little bit misleading because they really just highlight who won and they don't account for the thousands of votes that went to the NDP in each of those places. It's not like we're the only place that voted NDP. Nor does it account for the Edmonton area has 1.2 million people, which is basically a third of the province. So, you know, that caveat aside, when you look at the map now, based on the districts, we're very orange. And so the first parallel that people drew was to 1993, um, which is when the PCs were elected and again, obviously, and, uh, and and won no seats in Edmonton. So they were up against uh, the Liberals, who were led at the time by former Edmonton Mayor Lawrence Decor. He had stepped down to, to lead the party. And the Liberals won all 18 seats in Edmonton at the time. The, the Klein PCs won 51 across the province, but none in Edmonton. And so we were this tiny little island inside the middle of this sea of blue, much like we are today, just with a different color. So this was back in 1993, you said? Yeah, this election, uh, I have since learned, came to be known in conservative circles as the Miracle on the Prairie. So in 1993, I was 
10. Well, actually, I was probably nine at the time the election took place. You were... I was a mere twinkle in my mother and father's eyes. I was negative one years old in 1993. There you go. So, you know, we're kind of revisiting this history for you uh, and and kind of learning what... I, I, honestly, I wasn't paying attention. I was 10 years old to this. So uh, this is not from recollection. Maybe if Ralph Klein did some Fortnite dances. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I, I learned a couple of interesting things. So um, in 1989... The previous election, the PCs won just two ridings in Edmonton. And of course, in subsequent elections, they didn't win that many seats either. So it's not like these are the only two times, 93 and 2019, that Edmonton has been off on its own. It's always been a little bit of a hotbed for opposition parties. We've always kind of gone against the grain of the rest of the province. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know if I have the answer, but lots of other smart people have have talked about this, right? And, um, you know, they kind of feel, or some people have suggested, some um, commentators over the years have suggested that this has become part of Edmonton's identity, you know, like we're the we're the different place, we're a bit weird, you know, keep Boston weird or keep Portland weird, like that's Edmonton. But I think actually probably it has more to do with the fact that we've been um, different from the rest of the province being the center of government, right? And we've been a real, uh, you know, a quarter of our economy is based on public service, you know, either government or health or education. Um, so we see the economy very differently than the rest of the province. Typically, we weather downturns differently than the rest of the province. And, and that's created some, some differences, I suppose, between the different regions. I do wonder if there's also a component of rebelliousness in it. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there were several people that might not have voted NDP if there wasn't this narrative that Edmonton is the NDP stronghold. So, you know, they can show solidarity with the team fighting against the evil armies encircling our territory. Right. <laughs> uh, they can defend the Hende, as it were. Defend the Hende. That should go on a T-shirt. So I was very interested in this idea that there's parallels, right, between 93 and now. So I started looking at what did Ralph Klein say after they were elected? And, and he said some interesting things. So he said, quote, we didn't lose Edmonton. We came close to winning it. And I will always support Edmonton. This city will always be a very, very important part of our province. End quote. Ding. Uh, that's a parallel alert. If you listen to Jason Kenney's speech accepting victory, very long a speech. A very long speech. Very long speech. Following the entry on a truck. <laughs> we're, we're not going to make fun of Jason Kenney this episode, That's Mac, just a okay? fact. That's just a fact. <laughs> cool. Um, but... At the end of his speech, he had mentioned sort of like, yeah, I know the Edmonton doesn't really have any representation, but we're not going to forget about Edmonton. It's going to have a place in our government. And that's basically what Ralph Klein said, too. Yeah, I mean, he said some other things. He he said, uh, well, quote, I'm not going to get into whether there will be a special minister responsible for the city of Edmonton, but obviously there's going to have to be a very strong liaison between our government and the city of Edmonton, end quote. Um, you know, he kind of suggested that, Edmonton would be treated the same as any other jurisdiction in the province, but recognize that without any MLAs at the table from Edmonton, there'd have to be a different relationship of some kind. Can we just address how weird and confrontational that is? Because there are MLAs from Edmonton present. There's 20 of them. They're just in a different party. Right. Opposition party. Imagine yeah. if government was able to work together. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, he said, I don't think I have to go overboard to accommodate Edmonton. In other words, to show deliberate favoritism. So he was, you know, maybe trying to say, we're just going to treat Edmonton the same as everywhere else, but there's nobody here from the government. And what I also learned was in subsequent elections, while he didn't say it, members of his party did often suggest that Edmonton should go PC to have a seat at the table about these important decisions that were being made. So my dramatic irony alert is sort of dinging off in the back of my head. Did 
Ralph Klein to make sure that Edmonton had an equal seat at the table and did everything turn out peachy keen in terms of representation? Well, you said you know about Klein. What most people remember about Klein, aside from Klein Bucks, was the cuts, right, that took place. So he was, you know, every every leader needs to have an enemy. And in his case, it was the deficit. And so he was going to fight tooth and nail to eliminate the deficit, right? Again, alarm bells ringing. That seems parallel. In contrast to Kenny, who has said that they were just they would just freeze spending, which is essentially a cut because you're not accounting for growth, Klein's government actually actively did make cuts. And, and it did materially impact the city of Edmonton. So uh, I found a couple of really interesting things in an op-ed that was written by former Mayor Jan Reimer in 1996. And she pointed out, you know, some maybe some more petty things. Like she said, Klein, you know, refused to congratulate Edmonton on its 200th birthday, didn't even respond to requests to participate, right? Sort of suggesting that he was already treating Edmonton differently, even on something as minuscule as a congratulations. Um, but she also pointed out some facts, not her numbers. These are facts from Statistics Canada. Between July 94 and July 95, Edmonton lost over 16,000 public administration jobs while Calgary gained more than 2,700 in that same time period. And she was part of a march of 25,000 people to protest what was happening with the Grey Nuns Hospital. They cut thousands more hospital and nursing jobs in Edmonton than they did elsewhere in the province. Uh, $25 million more cuts in Edmonton than in Calgary. Uh, So it was definitely felt in Edmonton when the Klein government made these cuts. And her, her quote from the article was, Edmonton is also the place where the cutback knife slashes deeper. So with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and see that there probably was some impact of uh, Edmonton being this island separate from the rest of the province. And there's a bit of an irony there because the fact that they are an island only entrenches the island position because now you're under attack by a government. You're not going to make friends with that government. Uh, That's that's extortion really isn't it that that is the definition of the word extortion that's kind of it i mean in the following election in 97 the pcs increased their majority actually but they only won two seats in edmonton so they still didn't really break into that stronghold even though in the sort of weeks leading up to the election day the polls were suggesting that they were actually going to have quite a strong turnout in edmonton and that didn't come to pass there's a old publication called insight into government that i came across and the publisher of that said at the time that you know quote many tory candidates hinted that edmontonians needed to send PCs to the assembly in order to get fair treatment from the government, end quote. So there was sort of this arrogance about the PCs being, you know, such a powerful party and that if Edmonton wanted a seat at the table, they had to to vote some people in. Um, I found a couple of other interesting things. Scott McKean, uh, went back when he was a columnist. Yeah, he wasn't always a city councillor. He used to work at the Journal. He worked at the Journal. In, 99, in 1999, he wrote, uh, many people argue the city paid dearly for its lack of a strong voice in the provincial government. Um, talked about what Jan Reimer had said and uh, and said that uh, the Klein government, you know, reducing the size of government to rein in spending had a big impact. 8,000 jobs cut at least, right? And we know the numbers are maybe actually higher than that. Um, the 2004 election came, the PCs lost a bunch of seats and once again found themselves with only two in Edmonton. Um, and that was sort of the the downfall, the, the beginning of the downfall, right? That, you know, um, the, the popularity declined quite significantly there. So if you look back through all these news articles and and you see what people have written over the years, you know, there's a pretty broad consensus that there was a long-term impact from Ralph Klein's policies, that they really did cause issues not only in Edmonton, but across the province. And just due to the nature of Edmonton's economy of being the seat of government and home to so many public administration jobs, we felt it worse than everyone else. So in January of this year, Rachel Notley campaigning in front of a crowd at the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, basically 
talked about this and she said, you know, Kenny's vow to freeze spending will have the same effect as those Klein cuts because our population is growing. She called them reckless cuts, actually. And she actually received a standing ovation from most people in the room at that event. So playing a bit of devil's advocate here, you mentioned how we were disproportionately hurt by these cuts, but you also mentioned that Edmonton is a sort of public service stronghold. We were the home of government. We have a lot of public service jobs here. Could it be that Klein was just, in fact, cutting the public service? They weren't targeted cuts against Edmonton. They were just cuts to the public service. I mean, that's one way to look at it, except, uh, and I haven't dug into the data, but just looking at the data that some other people have written about, it suggests that it was worse in Edmonton. It wasn't a straight up, we're going to cut 25% across the board and everybody gets impacted the same way. Edmonton was cut more deeply than in in other places. I think though one of the big differences between then and now is that Edmonton's a very different city in 2019 than we were in 1993. And obviously the province is a very different place. I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but Edmonton's got a little bit more swagger now, don't you think? I mean, I wasn't alive in 1993, so I can't speak to Edmonton of now, but I can say right now that Edmonton's got some swag. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're a bit more of a confident city. And and there's obviously certain things now that are in place that did not exist back then, namely a city charter, uh, a metro region board and Edmonton Global, all these types of things that are meant to help us continue to grow and prosper. You know, they didn't exist back then. One of the other things that I think it's worth mentioning is all of Kenny's policy platforms aside, uh, one of his economic planks was about artificial intelligence and investing in innovation uh, that's that's an edmonton thing we're an ai hub globally renowned so you can't just move that to calgary uh, deep mind is set up here so i think we have also diversified as a city in terms of our economic interests yeah and edmonton felt the the most recent downturn far less than the rest of the province right which is you know some have suggested is one of the reasons why the, the ballot question in Edmonton was essentially different than it was in the rest of the province, right? If, if, if for the rest of Alberta, it was about the economy and about jobs, in Edmonton, there's this feeling that it was a bit about social justice and climate change and, and issues that come after the economy in the minds of most people because we didn't experience the downturn in quite the same way. Let's jump out of the past and let's jump to the present. So we've got Kenny sweeping the province. He's won. Polls are still ambiguous, but... Some 63 to 66. Yeah, as we record this on Thursday, they still haven't counted everything. Yeah, which, you know what? The vote anywhere, it's worth it. I'll I'll take it. But 60 plus seats, it's a comfortable majority. There's nothing anyone can do about that. Right. And we are now the orange dot in the middle of the province. So what is this going to look like for Edmonton going forward? Well, we know um, that the, today, actually, on, on Thursday when we're recording this, um, Premier-designate Jason Kenney and Premier Rachel Notley met to discuss transition and apparently, you know, had a fairly good conversation. There's some things they agree on, but Premier Notley has been pretty clear in her statements since the election already that, you know, we will hold the new government to account. Um, she's already transitioned very strongly into her role as opposition leader. Which was interesting because the last premier who lost a crushing majority was Prentice, who promptly resigned night of. Um, we didn't see that from Rachel Notley. No, I mean, she had been pretty clear leading up to election day that she would stay on whether she won or lost. And so um, I suppose not that surprising, but definitely interesting to see how uh, aggressively she transitioned into that. So uh, I think that's one thing that, you know, all of the Edmonton, MLAs uh, from the NDP have been talking about in in the days since the election is that they're going to hold the government to account and that they're going to 
perform their role as the opposition very, very effectively. Um, for Jason Kenney, I mean, he said he wants to lead a government that fights for the interests of all Albertans. Uh, he did say, we hope in the next election, Edmonton will give us a second chance, which is interesting because he, he won't be there, right? He'll be running for the federal election. Ooh, hot take <laughs> alert. Uh, that's my hot take for the evening. So, you know, he's he's obviously tried to say downplay this distinction between Edmonton and the rest of the province. Right. Well, well, it remains to be seen how how long that carries through for. And and then the mayor is the other one we should highlight. Right. So Mayor Iveson, you know, in his public statement, didn't say anything that would surprise you. I mean, he said all the things you would expect him to say that, you know, congratulations to Kenny. And we look forward to working with you. And thank you to Premier Notley for all the work that you did and for the things that you got into place. Uh, But the statement did make a point of talking about, um, you know, infrastructure and housing and climate resilience and these things that Edmonton needs. And it definitely, to me, came across as a little bit more confidently than maybe it might have in the past, kind of to say that, you know, Edmonton and Calgary together are different than the rest of the province. That's why we have things like the city charter. And we're going to work with the government to make sure that that's reflected. Looking at some of the sort of material concretions, there's a couple big items that mm-hmm. basically a new government could change meaning for. One is the Valley Line West, which the NDP has committed just over a billion dollars of carbon tax money, though. Right. They stipulated that towards the construction of that. Plus, we have a new hospital coming in Edmonton, too, that money has been committed to. So those are some of the big items that this could be a material change. Do you think we're going to see changes to any of those? I don't think we're going to see changes to the Valley Line. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to want to walk back that funding. I think that would be pretty difficult for them to do. The other big project, of course, that hasn't gotten that much attention is the Super Lab that had been proposed and is actually, I think, under construction as of last month. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there. But Kenny promised to cancel that mm-hmm. project. That's a five or six hundred million dollar project right here in Edmonton. Right. So that's a big impact. You mentioned AI earlier. Um, most of the funding announcement that the Notley government made in the days leading up to the campaign was for future budgets. So the hundred million, a, a big chunk of that was to come out of a future budget. But so far, at least Kenny has kind of indicated, as you say, that they, they recognize the importance of that and won't walk that back. So we'll have to see if that happens. I think ultimately the biggest risk for Edmonton is this pledge to try to balance the budget by 2020 and to freeze government spending for four years in order to do that. If it's a freeze, then, you know, I think the economist for the city, John Rose, has kind of said that, you know, we won't quite be in recession but it won't be very good growth. Um, if they go beyond a freeze and actually make cuts, um, then we're very vulnerable, he says, right? So we know that about 27% of Edmonton's uh, employment is in post-secondary and health and education and, and public administration. So that would be a big, significant hit to Edmonton if that comes to pass. Not uh, unrelated to that is also Edmonton's ambitions. So recently the city plan, that's moved forward in a material way and we've got a hefty document of our ambitions as a city and of course some of those things are affordable housing and eliminating homelessness as have always been but we've seen a bigger step up in the past year i would say of this is concretely what we need to achieve our goals to end poverty and a lot of that has to do with affordable supportive housing yeah we put over a million dollars just into a campaign basically to say to the other orders of government we need funding for this and so if we're talking about freezes across the board historically we've seen when a higher order of government is making these budget cuts or freezes it gets downloaded onto municipalities because people still expect these services so we've seen that with homelessness in the past the province it's their responsibility but they haven't been 
stepping up to the plate and it's been downloaded onto municipalities because it would be cruel to not address homelessness. Right. So someone has to do it. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the city of Edmonton. And that's not going to be politically great for our council who in this budget season with an NDP government committing billions of dollars to LRT right. was saying, oh, we need a 0% tax increase. What is this going to look like if we're picking up the slack for slash and burn at higher order of government? No doubt. And, and other things that the council has been quite vocal about needing provincial support for, costs associated with cannabis doesn't seem likely, right, to come if we're freezing government spending at the provincial level. So you're right. There's going to be a big impact for our municipal governments and how to deal with that and pick up the slack on that. You had your hot take earlier. I think this is going to be Troy's hot take alert. I honestly I'm going to put a real heavy asterisk. Please don't unsubscribe. I don't think it's going to be that bad uh, with Kenny as premier. And I'll say this with my asterisk. Kenny has a record. He was a cabinet minister for a decade. We have seen him govern before. So when I say it's not going to be that bad, I mean it's not going to be that bad for the city of Edmonton and its economic interests. For specifically city-concerned issues, it's not going to be that bad simply because governments since time immemorial have been making huge campaign promises and then governing to the center because at the end of the day there's really only one way to run a province no matter who was in government during this recession there still would have been a curtailing of oil sands export because the differential was too high at some point there's just a correct way to run and people sort of gravitate towards that center however kenny's record on social issues uh we have seen as a cabinet minister he has shown in his past that this is how he does legislate, not just campaign. The issue with GSAs, the issues with homophobic and transphobic and Islamophobic members of his caucus, that is only going to get worse. And I can see that becoming a friction point between the city of Edmonton and perhaps the higher of our government. Edmonton has already indicated that, you know, it's willing to declare itself a sanctuary city mm-hmm. in, you know, protest to the federal government uh, enforcing maybe fair, maybe unfair immigration practices. Could we see something on the provincial level where Kenny's record on social issues, we have an admittedly progressive and inclusive council. Yeah. Could this become the friction point? Because I don't think we're going to see the friction point on the economy. Like you said, I don't think we're going to be walking back the valley line. I don't think there's going to be a lot of material cuts economically to Edmonton. So I think the big point of friction between Edmonton and the province is going to be on those social issues. You might be right about that. I mean, I think the valley line, the MSI replacement funding, those those things that the Notley government and, and Iveson's council uh, sorted out seem pretty secure. And maybe you're right. That will be the friction point. But I guess back to my hot take, if he is in campaign mode and he's setting himself up for a run for prime minister, then does he really care? Will he actually govern from the center? The reason he got elected is because he embraced the extremist positions that got him the votes, right? Yeah. Um, hard to argue with that one, except to say I don't want that to I be true. I don't want that to be true either. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's that would be a good case scenario, I suppose, that he ends up governing more from the center on on economic issues. Edmonton doesn't feel the impact in that way. And uh, and we have, I suppose, constructive disagreement about social issues. And maybe it's an opportunity for Edmonton to take the lead. I think the final point when we're talking about what this means for Edmonton, and we'd be remiss not to mention it because it's going to be Bill 1, the repeal of the carbon tax. Right. The carbon tax has been unquestionably a boon to Edmonton, simply because from a municipal level, we are transitioning 
to clean energy. This is just a thing that we've acknowledged we're doing as a city. And with or without the province, we would be considering and pursuing these climate change and goals to, you know, show leadership in environmental stewardship. And reduce our reliance on oil and gas. Absolutely. Um, Without a carbon tax, and if we sue Big Daddy Trudeau and get rid of his carbon tax too, I think that could be a material issue in the city of Edmonton where that's where the economic friction point comes in. However... Constitutional lawyers say it's not going to happen. Well, they're not going to win. Yeah. Right. But that's actually probably a better thing for people that support the PCs and the position that Kenny has taken. Right. It's better to be wrong in their minds because there's something to be angry about. And if you're angry about a planet continuing to survive because we're combating climate change, I will let you be angry as long as there's still a planet left for us. Thus ends the hot take alert for tonight. Mac, wrapping up. Um, so well, here's what we can expect in the next few weeks, essentially. Um, the cabinet uh, is expected to be named on April 30th. That's when they're actually sworn in. And Jason Kenney has indicated that the first sitting of the 30th legislature will happen in the third week of May. And Kenny has promised 100 days of change where he will spend 100 days undoing everything the NDP has ever done, uh, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so we will see. Uh, interestingly, that falls uh you know if cabinet or if legislature starts sitting in the first week of may and kenny has this ambitious 100 day of change that aligns pretty closely with council's calendars before summer break um so it will be interesting to see how city council reacts to a rapidly changing provincial government and where the claims are staked because it's we're coming up halfway through 2019. There's going to be an election in 2021. And I've suggested that we're going to have actual competition for the mayoral seat at this time. So are we going to see mayoral candidates aligning themselves with Jason Kenney, uh, Mike Nickel, or are we going to see divisive lines and more divisive rhetoric versus Jason Kenney for the next two years? I think that'll be a thing to watch. Definitely. That'll be very interesting. I suppose the last thing we should say is that nobody knows what's going to happen. This is us speculating about Uh. what this means for Edmonton. If you've got a different opinion, you've got something that you think we should consider, please send it to us. Yeah. Tweet us. Email us. Do it. Come to my house. You can find... My house is a matter of public record. I ran for council. Also a matter of public record is that we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And given the recent news that the Edmonton Pride Festival sadly has been cancelled for this year, we thought it was appropriate to tell you about ATB's support of Pride. ATB takes pride in all Albertans. That means standing up for what is right in the workplace, in our communities, and alongside community partners including Firefly and Schools, Calgary Libraries Reading with Royalty Program, Edmonton and Calgary Pride, and the Calgary Sexual Health Centre. ATB's Pride MasterCard is available and accepted everywhere, and you can learn more about that and everything else they do related to Pride at atb.com slash pride. That's it. The provincial election is done. I am calling. I said last week, we're never talking about it again. We're never talking about it again. Back to municipal issues, I promise. (sighs) Yes, because that is what we do when I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Municipally.